Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. <sighs> Jesus fucks. Get ready for the miracle of Mega a comedy podcast from the staff of a fictional mega church. And, and not only does he f***, but he's the best at it. I'm Holly Loren. And I'm Greg Hess. Our characters, Hallie and Gray, welcome a new guest each week, played by some of the biggest names in comedy and podcasting. Like Scott Aukerman, Lauren Lapkus, Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, Cecily Strong, and Duncan Trussell. I just love to think about that, the light shining down on all those corpses in the water and Noah just going by and maybe maybe a mom being like, please, we're running out of energy. Can you please let us on the boat? It's completely improvised and it's devilishly funny. Is there any question you have for us about, you know, what it means to live a life in Christ? I guess, how much do you think is bullshit? There's a new episode every Sunday. Listen and subscribe to Mega, wherever you get your podcasts. Best I ever had. Best I Y'all can do it. Y'all can do it. Y'all sing along. We you know what I'm saying? Here go. Jesus, you the best. Jesus, you're the best. You're the best. Jesus, you're, Jesus, you're the best. You're the be- okay, best never mind. Best I ever had. Best wow. I ever had. Coming to you live from the Ray Horseman Studio in North Hollywood, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. On tonight's show, writer's block. Ever had it? Blank page. Words don't come. Syllables dry up. Stuck. Mute. Silent. Nothing. That's our show for tonight. Nobody listens to Paula ba- Oh, wait. We have someone here who can get us unblocked. Francesca Gaccio is a graduate writing coach at USC's Annenberg School of Communications. She'll tell us what to do when writer's block strikes. Speaking of something striking, sharks are out along the coast of Massachusetts. Jaws is back, and we're not talking about the movie. And we have the stunning result of Frontier Communications' contest to put down your smartphone and use a flip phone for an entire week. The results are in, and we're shocked. I'm Adam Felber, the conversational lifeguard on this show, trying to keep topics from floating out to sea. And now, please welcome the woman who talks her way beyond the boy every time, Paula Poundstone! Well, thank you so much. Oh, welcome, Paula. And thank you to tonight's house band returning champion, percussionist Omar Leva. Omar, thank you for being here, man. Fantastic. With a bigger rig this time than last. Now, Paula... The pod dog is with us here at Ray Horseman Studio, and you've thoughtfully brought a squeaky toy. I did. For um, him to play with. Uh, a, a listener named Stephanie Mitchell. Stephanie Mitchell. Uh, sent me this. She got a... Uh, there we go. That's it's nice, nice and huh? squeaky. Yeah. yeah. It's a uh, Donald Trump stuffed toy that apparently her... I, I think her cat... Uh, wouldn't have anything to do with. Her cat she, rejected a toy. Yeah, so she thought Captain Crinkle would enjoy playing with it during well, the show. I, um, as soon as I heard that sound, she said she would. Yeah. This is, um, before Captain Crinkle could talk, this was, this was her first word. 
Yeah, as a baby. Yeah. You would touch her and that sound would come out. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I actually, now I didn't bring the pod puppy this week. I brought uh, I brought my dog Sirius. Sirius, come here. And Sirius has become, in recent years, kind of serious. He has he's little, you know, he lives with a puppy and so he's exhausted all, all the, the time. time. Do you want he, this Donald Trump He has zero dog? interest in the Trump. Yeah, no, he's, he's... Well, give it to Captain Crinkle and she'll make her life miserable. Yeah, I'll no. take it. I'll put, I'll yeah, put <laughs> Bonnie says, I'll take it. No, he might... He, he, no, okay, he's rejected Trump. He just walked away, you all right. You know why? Because he supports Elizabeth Warren, that's Do- why. Well, dogs, the, the dog vote has gone heavily Democratic and heavily for Elizabeth Warren for yeah. the last few years, so... Yeah, Not definitely. surprising. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of uh, his politics. You know, um, you mentioned that sometimes I take a conversation... You know, sometimes I... Digress? Uh, sometimes. Uh, yeah. I have, you know, sometimes you search for words. I have a problem not talking. Yes. It's a problem that I... So I was just at you this... You don't not talk. I talk a lot. So I was at this convention thing for uh, public radio, for the people who raise money for public radio, and um, my boss, Doug Berman, said to me, because I was walking through the crowd, and he said, okay, if you need, you know, like, if you need to have someone not talk to you anymore. Right. Scratch your head <laughs> so that I will know and I'll come and say, oh, Paula, we have to go this way. You know, it's very wow. considerate I'm of him. guessing you didn't intentionally scratch your head that I never, night. ever scratched my head. But yeah. I, but I realized a lot of times people... We're dying to get away from me. It Everybody was the, else was scratching their it head. It was the other way around. Yeah, yeah it was like should a, have that. It was like there. a lice infestation at the. Uh, well, at I've this. been with you at the end of like wait, wait, don't tell me shows and the autographing sessions, and yeah. and you spend I would say three hundred to four hundred percent more time per listener than I do. I just run out of things to say, and you victimize them. <laughs> I, they are often trapped, stunned. <laughs> I always feel like a spider wrapping my, you Slowly know, wrapping I, give your conversational the, web. I give them the stuff to sort of tire them out. And then I begin to wrap uh, my web around <laughs> no, no, them. And a lot of times people. they have to make a human chain and pull one another from right. my Oh, I, I've my seen that. I've seen the audience extractions uh, yeah, yeah. thing that they have to do. Yeah. Once people realize what's going on, then they join <laughs> together as a group. Um, yeah. I just thought it was funny that I, it never even occurred to me to scratch my head, but I did see uh, audience members and people that had wanted to take pictures of with me um, sidestepping slowly away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she won't see me. Yeah. All right. So uh, I want to change the subject for a second. You uh, do? Your 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 dog has gone nowhere near the Trump toy. No. Where has it gone? Uh, Bonnie has it, right? Oh, oh no, good. it's right here. It's right. Oh, it's it's right by my side. Yeah. You know, uh, Trump is one of the first presidents. I'm digressing now. In a long time, I don't know how many years. Somebody should look it up. Um, that to not have a dog. There has not been a president without a dog in the Oval Office you for know why? a long time. There's, they cannot get a dog yeah. to spend time right. with Trump. <laughs> They're going to have to put like Mike Pence in a dog suit. At yeah, <laughs> they, would have to, like, they would have to wire the White House lawn with those electric things so that right. when the dog and steps over so, the edge. And even so, you'd see yeah. buzzing dogs walking just, down Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, it just looks bad. <laughs> it looks really bad with a president can't keep a dog with him. Um, um, but speaking of Pennsylvania Avenue, I'm going to segue that over to Massachusetts Avenue, which is based on the state of Massachusetts, because Paula, you're heading to Massachusetts for a vacation. I'm going to Massachusetts on vacation in a couple more weeks, but I got to tell you, I keep seeing on the news that the Cape Cod waters have been invaded by great white sharks. Now, I don't vacation in Cape Cod. I I vacation on the North Shore. Which is not that close to Cape Cod. Well, it's not that far for a shark, I don't think. Well... I'm guessing the sharks are in the south part, like the Hyannis part of Cape Cod. I don't, I don't know. They didn't. I and then don't know. they'd have to swim all the way around the Cape. 
Yeah. And well, there's so many tasty, tasty tourists in Martha's Vineyard. They would never make it around the Horn of Provincetown. They could swim and all the way the around. Shore, they, like, they could swim all the way around the Cape. What, are you kidding me? That's what it does. It swims and it eats. Right. That's all sharks do. Yeah. And right now well, they've seen, apparently, the movie uh, of Jaws has been re-released underwater and is inspiring Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Copycat crimes. Yeah, exactly. Usually when I um I go to Singing Beach in Manchester and I I swim out to the buoy multiple times on each trip with great pride I do Manchester that. by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea. I'm gonna say that's so far up there that you could probably swim without worrying about great white sharks. Yeah. No, you're you've right. You've never because... really liked me that much. And no. so what you're doing is you're trying to get me I'm trying to get an to episode get... of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone because she's shark food and this is my podcast now. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what the yeah. title's gonna be. I think yeah. I, I hope everyone's making note of what's taking place right no, but now. You can swim, it's fine. Yeah. Is this okay, it's not as bad as the, you know, girl who encouraged her friend to off himself, but this is damn near. Yeah, go in the water. Go for a swim. It's yeah. summertime, funner yeah. time. Come yeah, on. yeah. Kick your feeties. Yeah, do, kick do, your feet. Do, 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 Don't do, put a bandaid on that thing. You'll be fine. Yeah, but you know, in the past when I've swam out there, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends who won't go with me. But right. maybe that has nothing to do with that. But I, uh, I have a lot of friends who are afraid to swim out to the buoy. And it's never really troubled me. But now, did you see on the CNN website the other day, they right. showed a film. And I don't know if this was a Cape Cod one or a Florida one, maybe. Um, it was uh, shot from like a drone or an airplane overhead. Mm. There were people waiting, W-A-D-I-N-G, right. waiting in the water. They were only up to the, like their thighs uh -huh. or their waist. And um, a shark swam like feet away from them yeah. and then turned. And you couldn't tell the reaction of the people because you're seeing the tops of their heads. Right. Um, but They might not have seen it. They might not have seen it, but I saw it. That's my point. Well, How many times when I swim to the buoy are there sharks coming right up near me and swimming away? Well, I'm going to say maybe a lot of times, I, I, you know, I've uh, done some scuba diving. And when you get your scuba certification, they let you know that there's really only two kinds of sharks on the planet that you really should worry about swimming near. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of those kinds is the great white that it's will be with you on vacation. It's the great white shark, yeah. yeah. Apparently, like seven of them have been sighted in the uh, in the area around Cape Cod. Seven individuals. Well, this is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, but again, I think they're in the south of Cape Cod. And, right. and you and I okay, had an argument yesterday. You know what happens? Oh, we did yeah. have an argument. Yes. And it's not the first time. Um, All right, I'll get to okay, that in a you minute, know what No, because... <laughs> There's, listen to me, there's seven sharks, right. okay? Yeah. And uh, apparently there's four males and three females. And so what happens is the- In a minute. They pair off, okay. right? It, lovingly, they pair off. Uh -huh. And then that one lonely shark right. heads north. That's what happens. You're uh, saying he's like a shark incel. He has no, yeah, he has no it, partner, uh -huh. and he loses interest in the because there's nothing worse than being with your friends when they're making out. And right. so he's it, like, you know what, I'm out of here. And they head north. I'm heading to Manchester. Yeah, I'm going to Manchester by the sea. I hear and then, it's nice there. Yeah. yeah, and then they go, they go. Does anybody have a watch? Is this Paula's vacation right now? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Guess that's what you're worried about. Yeah, I am yeah. worried about it. Yeah. I don't think I can swim uh, the way I used to now. Let I think me get I'm to the argument be, we were having yesterday. We were having an argument about where Jaws was located. Where Jaws takes place. Yeah, yes. it takes place in uh, um, uh, in Massachusetts. You think it's Martha's Vineyard. You think Amity Island is essentially Martha's Vineyard. I think it's And what I was saying was, as a Long Island boy, and you're a Massachusetts girl, yes. I was saying, no, I grew up on Long Island, and we were all really proud of the fact that Amity Island was near Orient Point or Montauk. It was a Long Island-based book, movie. 
No, here's the thing. I think the the book was based there, but the movie was in uh, uh, in Massachusetts. You might be right. I think I know that book, I'm I, right. Okay. Um, I know that the movie was filmed up there in Massachusetts yeah, because that's what it's about. It's no, about it Massachusetts. Long Island was too crowded at that point to to shoot. Uh, to shoot Amity Island on Long Island. But you know what? Uh, Ken Lezebnik looked this up. Thank goodness. So here we go. Yeah. The novel establishes the fictional town of Amity on Long Island. Uh-huh. Peter Benchley read about a 4,500-pound great white shark caught in Montauk by shark hunter Frank Mundus, who inspired the book. Uh-huh. The movie... Frank Mundus. The movie doesn't identify where Amity Island is, but it was filmed on Martha's Vineyard because it was, quote, a vacation area that was lower middle class enough so that an appearance of a shark would destroy the tourist business. Carl Gottlieb wrote the screenplay. I knew that Carl Gottlieb wrote the screenplay. And by the way, the movie destroyed the tourist business that year. No one went in the water that year. That's true. That was 1976 or 75. Yeah, Yeah. I remember because I was so dry. Really? Oh yeah. Well, it's yeah. going to be like that this summer. Yeah, for it you. is. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to. I'm going to. But I got to feel like like maybe we should talk to uh, Carl Gottlieb. But it kind of feels like I'm right about this. No, you're not right yeah, about this. It does. Um, I'm going to end up hula hooping uh, all summer as a result. Oh, not all summer. I take that back. During my week of vacation, I'm going to hula hoop on the beach. Oh yeah. Uh, which should. Oh, that stuff for, attracts for the, the bats. Uh, well, no, I was going to say for the uh, the amount of tourists that stay even though there are sharks i should probably um drive the rest of them away by my hula hooping, hula hooping. do you have one yeah. of those whistling by the way hoops? it's um it's back to front not side to side hula hooping back to front nuts back to front not side to side oh, I see. Not okay. nuts um back to front not side to side what are you what are you saying to me um, oh, that to a make hula a hula hoop go, you want to move your hips yeah. back to front, yeah. not side to side. Yeah, try to stay on topic. I'm, <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> Did you think I was talking about sharks? It's I back to front, no not idea. side to side. No like idea. Like when honestly. you see a shark. Yeah, this, I, I was telling you shark survival methods. Adam, yeah. when you see a shark, wiggle your hips back to front, not side to side. You know how they say that sharks, if they stop swimming, they die because yeah. they drown. I feel like for you. It's talking. <laughs> that's why. Like if I made you be quiet for like five minutes, God forbid. Yeah. You die. It, I just might. That's why. I, that's why I put the blanket over my head. Oh, in the plane. On, so the, on the airplane, so yeah. I can just keep mumbling. Fantastic. Hey. <laughs> just keep doing that as I change topics. Yeah. Paula, we have an update on the Frontier Communications contest you entered to win the privilege to turn off your smartphone for a week and only use a flip phone. Tony Anita Hull has, has an update breaking. on the update. Yes. Uh, the original update was that the day that we were supposed to find out, uh, they were supposed to announce the winner had come and gone. Yes. And, and certainly you, I hadn't gotten my call the way I do on And uh, you'd written a Pulitzer great application. Day. A great application. I to, wrote a fantastic You wanted to get a flip phone and a survival kit to use no smartphones for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you get paid? Don't you? It was a $1,000 prize, I think. Yeah. But you didn't get it. That should, I could spend $1,000 on shark repellent and, and jump in the water. And shark repellent, like no, in the so, first scene of the uh, Batman movie from the 60s. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. So I got no response whatsoever from the Frontier so phone So we assumed people. you'd lost. Naturally, we assumed I'd lost. Yeah, I was assuming even before that. Yeah. So, so but, but Tony Anita Hall has an update. You know what? Because you're in the negative club. That's I am why. Ned negative, yes. But Tony Anita Hall has an update, which is that... Um, 
They got so many applications, they haven't chosen a winner yet. But here's the thing. Tony called them, I guess, on their website or something that a contact. So she, yeah. she contacted them. <laughs> and they them, had to use one of those old-fashioned crank phones to answer. She, they, <laughs> she spoke with them. And they said, oh, we had so many. She said, you know, I work with Paula Poundstone. She has a podcast. She mentioned blah, 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 right? And they said, oh, well, we had so many applicants that we decided to give out more than one prize. And we haven't, therefore, decided yet because we had this overwhelming response. But what they didn't say was, oh, yes, we have Paula's right here. No, they didn't yeah, say that. No, they didn't say that. They I don't know like if they've, they've noticed that you've applied. Yeah. I think I think a company like Frontier Communications... Once they see that Paula Poundstone with her mighty podcast and radio reach has applied, they should understand all the cross-promotional possibilities in oh, making you man, the winner of this we're going to make them somebody. Yeah. Uh, do you think, how many people do you think work at front? Uh, Tony, Anita Hall, could you hear people in the background when you talk to them? I mean, did, did it, it sound, sound like a crowded did office? Did it sound like a call center where there were tons of people? Or was it, or like was it just, you know, you know, MLA line one? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of people. There were lots of people. Like lots uh-huh. of people so it was a humming hive of Right, of, but it might have been one of those business. call centers where they answered the phone for like multiple businesses. Yeah, that could, could have be. been one yeah. of those like, yeah. you know, East yeah. Asian call centers where yeah. it was like there's there's 90 people in that room and they're answering for like 150 corporations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. It could have been yeah, yeah. Hi, uh, are you calling for Frontier what is it called Frontier Communications? Communications or uh Enzo Sardines. Or um water damage restoration. Right. Or uh, or Enzo's I'm going to let you keep sardines. going. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, you are a master yeah. improvisationalist. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happens to me is ideas just flood in. Oh, it's amazing. Like when your they Volkswagen goes into a lake, and you know, and you're afraid to open the window because the water's just going to flood in so much that you won't be able to get yourself out. That's that how my brain works. Reference? No. Boy, you can read a room. <laughs> you know, everybody cringed. I yeah, guess that, honestly. I guess it's too soon, 50 yeah. years ago. Our guests, <laughs> our guests tonight are several members of the Kennedy family. Wow. Thank you, Adam. I apologize. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life, right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There, there's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds, yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler Five Pocket Pants. And I got the, oh. Um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger. Ooh. And, you know, I put them on when I came back from New York. I pulled them on and I, I swear to you, okay. This is not scientific because I was tired already. Right. But they were so soft. (laughs) 
and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so co- it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment. Honestly, you know my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't (laughs) think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, You know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. 
That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux, and I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, listener, it's Zach Harper, Amin Al Hassan, and Anthony Mays of Cinephobe. You may be asking yourself, what is Cinephobe? Amin, would you like to fill in the people? Cinephobe is the podcast where Zach and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain. Oh, we're trying to well. ascertain? Yes. Okay. Ascertain. Whether or not they're accurately poorly rated, or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by this guy, Anthony Mays. Hey, that's me. I produced this show. I also watched the movies, even though that wasn't included in the description, and I also ascertained. This month is... Wow! Oh, oh, Maze, why'd you say that? Supercharge it. (laughs) So that this promo can remain evergreen. I feel like explaining a little bit more. In 60 seconds? I don't know. Maybe I don't bring attention to it. Assuring people like, look, if you listen, you're going to get it. Just give it give it time. That's a good promo. Just listen to it. Give it time. You'll figure it out. Is this the promo right now? Isn't it? Okay, I think we got it. Cinefo. Wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> Guys. All right, let's move on then. Speaking of hotel yeah. soap, that reminds me of hematology. Now, Paula, we were referenced in the Mediterranean Journal of Hematology and Infectious Diseases. Uh, in fact, I, no, you were. I was referenced. You, well, Pete Poundstone was referenced. Was it Pete Poundstone? Well, yeah. what part of that is you? You said we were referenced. Well, I was just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Got me. I tried. I tried to insert myself into <laughs> hematological history, and you caught me, Paula Poundstone. Yeah, yeah boy. Uh, yeah, that was a Freudian yeah. slip, I guess. Yeah, boy. Damn you, Paula, for getting the hematological attention. Anyway, uh, listener Tom Dean was yeah. able to break through and figure out for us because I guess he has referenced to his journal why you were mentioned. He referred well, us. Well, I was contacted by. Academia something, something, something that, right. that sends me emails when my name is mentioned in apparently uh, educational uh, journals of right. some and sort. So you were mentioned in the Mediterranean Journal of Hematology. So they Anca. said that I was, right. but it turns out P. Poundstone was mentioned. Right. And I, I was going to read that right here. Good. What'd they say? Here's what they said. Um, <laughs> because we thought maybe maybe it was you. Maybe there was yeah. something called Poundstone syndrome. Well, the other thing I thought was, you know, um, I'm just so busy. I work so hard and I feel tired all the time. And it may be that I'm getting up at night like I'm sleepwalking Uh and doing hematology work. That's a possibility. That's a lively possibility. Because I'm exhausted all the the time, This was Citation 26 in the article with the very catchy title, um, 
forgive me, ghost of my father, but my pronunciation is going to be bad. It's called Tenofovir as rescue therapy following clinical failure to lamivudine in severe acute hepatitis B. Lamivudine. Thank you. Wow, you fell asleep and said lamivudine. Did you know that? Oh, my God. I just dozed off for a second. Wow. Well, that citation notes the work of several scientists whose two-year, quote, assessment of entecavir resistance in lamivudine refractory refractory hepatitis B virus patients reveals different clinical outcomes depending on the resistance substitution's presence. And one of those scientists on that cited work is P. Poundstone. P. Poundstone. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting for me. Yeah. When we were talking about this yesterday... You casually said something along the lines of, well, I guess that could be my sister, Patricia Poundstone, who's a molecular biologist. No, she's not a molecular biologist. She's a no, she's a biochemist. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You got her confused. But it's almost definitely her, because we looked it up, and that, that P. Poundstone reference is indeed a reference to Patricia Poundstone. Yeah, that could be her. Now we, what do you mean could be? Well, we called her Patty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'm guessing you're not super in touch with Patty these days? No, I haven't talked to her in a while. And I don't read any of her research. Now, what's the age difference between you and Patty? Well, how do you mean that? How much (laughs) older or younger than you is Patricia? She's a couple years older than me. but couple years. Maturity-wise. You're way older. I am way older. so immature. She's very immature. Um, But she is a biochemist. And, uh, you know, she may be keeping herself young with some of her work. Uh, It's quite possible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, it hadn't occurred to me. At first, when I got the, the thing on my email saying, you know, there's this mention of you in this journal, um, I thought for sure it was me. Uh, but it, it wouldn't it even have occurred to you that there's a biochemist in your family whose name is also P. Poundstone, who it might be? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I met a sister of yours once. No, I don't think so. No? No. You might have. I, I don't think so. Okay. Not an aunt. Okay. Ooh, I shudder. Wow. Okay. All right. All the women on my mother's side of the family chewed snuff. So okay. did the aunt sound like this? Hey, Adam, how are you? No. Because they hold it in their mouth with their tongue. Uh, uh, she said, Adam, come give me some sugar. Wow, that's definitely not the person I met. I felt okay. like I feel like I met a relative of yours at a ping pong party about six or seven years ago. No, in fact, this aunt might have been in that journal. Right. Look, I got some blood. Okay. <laughs> I feel like... I, look, look I, see that? that that's, uh, that's, that's hepatitis B. <laughs> Okay, so that's your snuff-chewing aunt with hepatitis yeah. you were just yeah. doing an impression She used of. to have a big clabber girl can or a, co- a co- chock full of nuts can that she'd spit her gross... They really did chew snuff? Oh, it's disgusting. And then wow. she'd say, don't kick my can over. You, you didn't kick her can over. You kicked her can over. You had to move to a new house. It was repulsive. Wow. Yeah, so she's probably in that journal. Probably, it could it could have been my sister. Could I'm, not, sister. I'm not really sister. Okay, but well, there spe- could be another. There could be another P. Poundstone. We're not the only Poundstones on the planet. You're among the only Poundstones on the planet. No, there's other Poundstones. Really? Oh, they get in touch with me all the time. Do they? Wow. Yeah. Well, speaking of hotel soap, though, um, yeah. you've been bringing up vocabulary words. What have you got I this week? I have a vocabulary word this week. Uh, let's see. Uh, badenage. Badenage. No, badenage. That's badenage. Right. badenage. Oh, badenage, yeah. Bad- oh, yeah. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Badinage. It is what you and I engage in. Yeah, badinage. All the time. Uh, is a, uh, a noun, bunny. Uh, <laughs> that means good-natured teasing or raillery uh, or banter. Well, you and me engage in raillery. Yes. Yeah. And banter. Yeah, uh, and banter. But uh, this badinage thing is really new for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, though. I'm enjoying the badinage. So you, you want to use badinage in a sentence? Um, I, I, oh, darn it. Where is my sentence of it? I had one. Uh, uh, Ken Lezebnik is leaning forward to show you Ken, your sentence. where is my, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> the keeper of sentences where did has, it go? Has, has taken out his voluminous um, keychain. Adam and I engage in a good deal of badinage on our podcast. There it there is. There it is in yeah, a sentence. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah, badinage. It's a great, it, it, it looks a little bit like bandage. It does. Yeah. But it, it sounds a little bit like banter, which is a good way to remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like banter bandage. Uh, a banter uh, bandage. Yeah. <laughs> it's sometimes what I feel like I need at the end of a podcast. Here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you, for you, it's not for you. It's not good natured. You come out swinging, man. Really? Yeah. Your badinage is. Whoo! Wow. You're I, I feel like I'm having a good time, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm being too aggressive. No, All no. right. Well, badinage. We'll see what, badinage. See what we can use that tonight. It's going to come up over and over again I'm tonight. sure it is. Badinage. Also coming up, Charles Bukowski said, writing about writer's block is better than not writing at all. Writing coach Francesca Gaccio. Is it Gaccio? Gaccio. I got it right. Is here to talk us through writer's block. Sharpen your pencils and get ready to write when we return on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. This is one of my favorite house bands ever, I gotta say. Having him back, it's great to have you back, Omar. Um, Oh, look at that, a little bit of sleigh bells. Yeah. Paula, you're writing a book. I'm struggling to write a book. You're right. This is your third book. It's my, well, it's my, well, and then I also wrote three math workbooks with my high school math teacher. So technically, it would be my sixth book. If you count math workbooks, yeah. And I do. And I don't. I, for each one, I wrote a little. For each page, had a little story where I created characters. Oh, then for yeah. For the word problems, okay. no, it's very. Well, you were thinking I was just saying like two plus two, like that was the writing. More or less. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, no. No. Okay. I didn't really do the math part. Okay. I wrote stories. Anyways, yes, I'm. So you're working writing on your a third or sixth book, depending on how you score it. Let me just make this more succinct. I'm, I'm struggling to write my third book. Okay. It took you <laughs> how long to write the first book? Uh, it took me nine years to write the first book, uh-huh. seven years to write the second book, and uh, uh, this one, I, I don't know, I technically, I guess, been out for a couple of years now. Okay. Yeah. Is it that you don't have the time to write it, or is it you, you have trouble getting down and writing it? Well, it's both. Okay. It's both. I mean, it's very, I have to really, like, piss around territory to finally get some time where I'm like, no, this, uh, this is the day that I'm writing. And when the day that writing, uh, when the day of the writing comes, do you write? I, sometimes, but a lot of times I find myself just sitting staring at, at uh, blank paper, or, See, or the that, keyboard. That's interesting, because that never happens to me. I'll find a lot of ways to just kind of, like, fuck around and not write. But when I need to write, I write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about you. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? 
You know, I was talking to Ken Lezebnik about this because Ken yeah. Lezebnik is he's also a writer, a, a, a writer and, a, yeah. and, a, and like, very like, prolific. Uh, like me, he's written a lot for television. Yeah. And like when you're on a deadline like that, you just get good at just cranking shit out. Huh. So here I am laying bare the fact that I have a hard time. <laughs> right. And I'm just kind of making it. you feel small, I think. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I have a feeling that if I were laying on the ground bleeding. Right. And uh, I would say I never bleed. And I needed. <laughs> And I needed a bandage. Yeah. You would come over and say, boy, Poundstone's a funny name. I would and give I'd you, say, no, that's, I would give you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's badinage. I need a bandage. That's. Well, I need a new house. <laughs> <laughs> no, bandage. All right. Well, we have someone here who might be able to talk you through your writer's block. Francesco Gaccio is a graduate writing coach. I love your name, Francesco. <laughs> is a graduate writing coach at USC's Annenberg School of Communication. She's been teaching and tutoring since 2006, which is around the time you started your second book. Yeah. And is currently a doctoral candidate in English. Please welcome Francesca Gaccio. <laughs> welcome, Francesca. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Now, let's start with the basics. What is writer's block, or is it a couple of things? Um, a writer's block is sort of a catch-all term that we use to describe barriers to writing, and uh -huh. those barriers could be different things. It mm -hmm. could be um, uh, emotional, it could be sort of practical, um, or it could be a combination of both and all kinds of other things. Okay. So it's sort of a very broad term to describe barriers that stop one from writing or starting or picking up a writing task. Okay, and why is it called writer's block and not rights to patient? Rights to patient. <laughs> Probably because it does not sound as good, but oh, okay. I think we call it <laughs> block. Um, it kind of um, is a quite modern term, um, and our first sort of example of it was in like 1800s when someone called this sort of like a block. Like it's uh, it's something that is blocking this just fountain of creativity and words. Um, it's sort of this There's imagery. actually a block. There's a stopper. There's there. a stopper in is, the is, fountain. Is that a biochemical of, thing that we've discovered in modern times? Um, yes and no. People are trying to figure out sort of cognitively how... Uh, writer's block sort of comes about or where it comes from, what part They've of the brain. They've probably discovered it. They just haven't been able to write it down. <laughs> right. That's my guess. Right. Every time they go to write about writer's block, just something yeah. stops <laughs> them. I've been working on this study for years. It's, I know I can help people. It's so frustrating when you want to write and you can't write. Um, now, I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, uh, pleased in a way to hear that you say the phrase came about in the 1800s because I think of it as a modern problem. Well, the concept of writer's block is having sort of a psychoanalytic, psychological influence or barrier. cause yeah. or barrier. Uh -huh. um, it's quite modern, it's like from the 50s. But the idea of writer's block is quite old. Um, um, Samuel Taylor Coleridge um, wrote when he was 32 after he had written all of his, of his great poetry, uh, lamenting the fact that he hadn't written in like a year or that he only wrote a month's worth of poetry in the span of a year and sort of like, it's over. Like my oh, life, my creativity has sort of dried up. Right. Um, and he never wrote poetry again. He wrote all kinds of other things, but he never really came back to poetry. And wow. So his yeah. writer's block mm. was... He couldn't. He didn't get over it. He didn't get like a a coach of some sort and work <laughs> through it. He didn't. You no, know. I, I I think his writer's block was quite specific to a, jo a genre of writing. So. Uh -huh. He lost his yeah. poetry. He lost his poetic have, yeah, views, I've, yeah. I, apparently I have huge poetry writer's block. <laughs> yeah, no, no, let's, uh, let's because get to I've a written specific... zero 
poetry. Yeah, I've written poetry. And my I'm country, of it. my country western uh, song <laughs> writer's block is overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, nothing. Nothing. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, the, yeah, there's specific writer's block, and then there's just the I can't write stuff. So what I want to do is I want to bring on um, Patient A. Um, she's a podcast host, but we'll disguise her mm. voice so that you don't know who she is. Yeah. Well, and, and welcome, Patient A. Why don't you describe what your specific problems with writing is like? Well, I think... Uh, like, uh, you don't have a schedule, but... Well, yeah, I don't have a writing welcome schedule. Welcome, Patient A. Th uh, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I think I'll disguise my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a writing schedule, but I, I often long to write, but sifting litter boxes and making a living has to come first. And I'm so fucking busy, I feel frustrated most of the time. Then, when all is right with the world and I finally get a chunk of time to write, I don't have a thought in my head. Is there a technique for combating that is my question. Yes. Uh, so you can try. If only Samuel, what's his name, had you? <laughs> Taylor Collard. Taylor, was it Taylor? Samuel Coleridge. Taylor Thomas. Sam <laughs> not Samuel Taylor it's Thomas. Coleridge. It's Coleridge. He was on Home Improvement, wasn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Funny with you. But, go ahead, but please, yeah. go ahead with your answer. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry, um, I just, I just pounced stoned for a minute. He there. was uh, engaging in some badinage that <laughs> <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> Um, all right, so sorry to interrupt. Uh, so, all right, so there is a, a remedy. There are there are ways that you can try depending on what you respond to the most. Um, you can try free writing. I, I advise a lot of students if they're kind of just coming into um, writing with after a long pause from it or a long break from it to just kind of jog your memory from where you were the last time you were writing to kind of um, get fresh ideas or even old ideas, but kind of rework them. Um, free writing could be really helpful to just kind of get you started. Do you um, free write? I don't free write. Okay. I think it's because I feel the pressure of time so much. But like if you're not um, writing useful stuff, you're not mm, writing at all, and then you end yeah. up not writing at all? Exactly. Okay. It's, it's as if you were on my shoulder every day while I try to do this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the feeling that I have. Okay, so, so I, what I'm hearing so, Francesca say is that maybe – you should go ahead and write the useless stuff so that the useful stuff will come out. Yeah, a lot of times writing through writer's block, a lot of writers sort of talk about having writer's block as not a thing, uh, not a real thing. Um, a lot of writers um, will talk about writing through a writer's block. So even if it's the ugliest sentence, even if it sounds really stupid as you type it down, or even if you're just writing, this is really stupid, I have no thoughts that I want to write, um, the act of writing and the act of getting thoughts on page, on paper, on page, or on screen um, can be really useful to just get get the juices flowing. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, I like that idea. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe you should do that. I might. Is what there a another technique? Um, another technique, um, well, it was to make writing a habit, which I know would be difficult. To make writing a habit. Yeah. yeah. To, to I have 13 cats. Yeah. <laughs> right. You got to make sifting a habit. I, <laughs> sifting, yeah. Say, yeah. Sift four times a day. Um, four times a day? Yeah. Wow. Y yeah. You could I, only get them to all go at once. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. You know what would really be great is if I could find um, some sort of uh, use for cat pee. Right. And I'd be so rich, I could have someone else sift for me. Right. And all the time in the world to write. Right. You'd corner the market. Engage in whatever badinage I felt. <laughs> Um, but we I don't could, live in that world, I could Paula. free badinage. Okay, all right. So uh, the spread of misinformation has fueled our cultural divide and increased our collective anxiety about the future. 
Tackling misinformation isn't a simple task, but it's important. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that's dismantling new age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy mad yogis. On the show, a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic walk into a bar and the bartender says, no, 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 it's not that old joke. They dive deep into current events such as RFK Jr.'s involvement in mainstreaming dangerous anti-vax rhetoric. They crowdsource, research, analyze, and dream up answers to the problem with, get this, proven science as their ultimate guiding light. I highly recommend you check out Conspirituality's fascinating episodes on creating comedy in the MAGAverse with Jordan Klepper or RFK Jr. flirting with body fascism. And you've listened to a bunch of them at this point, Paul, I know, and you tell me you love it. I, I do. They're, they're fascinating. And my favorite part is they use, wait for it, proven science. Science? And, and if, if there's any kids listening, that's a class we used to take. Proven yep. science as their ultimate guiding light. I love that. From exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape, the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed about misinformation and help you resist fear tactics. Find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Um, yeah, so yeah, I like the idea of, of, of having a schedule of writing, but it just, uh, uh, you know, and then I feel like a loser because I can't stick to the schedule that, of writing. That, that is also another facet of writer's block, sort of this pressure and shame. sort of this shame and yeah. anxiety and yeah. how that kind of rolls So maybe into I shouldn't bigger... be doing it naked. Maybe that's, <laughs> yeah. it's the naked in writing front of that's full length mirror. Yeah, that's yeah. what screwed me up. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, while yeah. eating potato salad. Right. Yeah, that's. Oh, God, and it falls on you. And yeah, it's, that's yeah. a big mistake. Just Right going, What's there. become of me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Potato salad on one side, and then uh, thick pancakes with syrup and butter on the other side. And you're just sitting there naked, naked eating in yeah, front yeah, of a mirror. Yeah, yeah. Maybe now, Francesca, that's a is that a good writing technique? <laughs> I mean, if it if it gets you writing, I yeah. say. It doesn't. Francesca, <laughs> Francesca is totally supportive of <laughs> anything. Oh wow! Whatever yeah. floats your boat. Yeah, I uh, can say to her right now. Whatever floats your you know, gravy boat. What if I was, you know, what if I like drowned frogs while I was doing? It. She'd be well if it helps. <laughs> um, now let's talk about writing prompts, not bags of frogs or anything. But um, back in the late seventies or early eighties, there was a box of cards called a, a kick in the side of the head. Do you remember that? Or She's probably like that. too young. When I say but late seventies or eighties, it was a box full of writing prompts. And nowadays, yeah. you find like uh, websites that mm-hmm. give you writing prompts and stuff. Um, are those helpful? They can be. Um, like I said, they can help sort of generate ideas, um, get your brain sort of like loosened up, opened up into the idea of writing. 
Um, there must be, and even as you speak about it, you say your brain open up. There must be a biochemical process because we are talking about it like a physical thing, mm-hmm. like the word block and open up your brain. And that is how it feels when it find, you know, when you finally sort of push past that. So there must be a biochemical. So what I'm saying is, is there a drug I could take? <laughs> uh, because it sounds like there is some sort of biochemical process to writer's block. Do you recommend drugs? <laughs> I I. I'm not qualified to recommend any drugs. <laughs> I am only a graduate wow. writing coach. Okay. Uh, Boy, so she I... is good. Wow. Um, yeah. but there I have... don't, by the way. You don't recommend drugs. I don't. I don't. When people think they're more creative because they're stoned or something like right. that. I, uh, I, I don't really I, I would beg to either. differ. Yeah. Anyway, but anyways, I do feel like drugs aren't the only way of counteracting a biochemical process. There's exercise. Dickens used mm-hmm. to uh, walk. Miles and miles and miles and miles. He would and he like would t- write insufferably long books. <laughs> yeah, he wrote like really 20 uh, uh, miles a day. Right. Uh, he would walk sometimes 20 miles a day. Which is exactly how I feel when I try to take on like Bleak House. I love Bleak House. Yeah, well, you have time to do it because you're not writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I back up and reread parts of Bleak House. I try to use it as a prompt. <laughs> So my morning prompt is going to be Bleak House. Yeah, yeah. Then that's, three weeks later, now I'm ready to start. Yeah, that slows yeah. me down. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I, I love Charles Dickens. Does exercise help? You're going to say maybe. I mean, it, 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 could. it could. Yeah, it yeah. could. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so as, as far as the biochemical um, aspect of it, there have been studies where they're looking not necessarily at writer's block, there but were, at... Oh, did they take like several writers <laughs> who couldn't write and put them in chairs with like electrodes on their heads? Yeah, I love and that. And then idea. they would try to write and they'd be like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Is that what they did? Not not quite, uh, no. but okay. they were they were tracing sort of the bra- uh, blood flow to the different parts of the brain. Oh, uh-huh. blood um, flow! <laughs> blood flow. That's what I need. Right. You know, I've been wearing a badinage on my head <laughs> while I write. That that that's a tourniquet. I mean, bandage. bandage. <laughs> I like how you took the words from badinage and turned it into tourniquet. Yeah, there we um, go. All right, sorry, I interrupted again. Okay, so. They, they, there are studies. They're, they're studies where they check the blood flow of the, blood the, brain. Flow the brain. And they found that, um, so they, they did a study where they gave three words to the participants and they were asked to form a story around those three words. And they saw that the parts of the brain that lit up were the ones, as we would expect, um, related to how we process language, the left side of the prefrontal cortex. But then they also saw that the right side of the brain was also lighting up, which is related more to how we connect uh, dissimilar concepts to each other. Okay. So where we kind of generate ideas from like, this is a green cup and this is a blue house. What's the relationship between the two? And right. sort of this story creation uh-huh. part of our brains. Yeah. Um, and so they inferred that, you know, writer's block might be related to a similar sort of dysfunction or like the cognitive two, the, the, overload in that part of the brain. Oh, okay. In the, in the part of the brain that forms the association. Yes. Right, the right mm-hmm. brain. I mean, I think I've told you before that uh, when I'm trying to remember something sometimes, like particularly a conversation with my daughter one time, I said, who's that actor, the really good looking guy he was in <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird? It starts with an M. And she said, Gregory Peck. And I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that that kind of yeah. thinking that you were just referring to? I, I would say probably no. 
<laughs> but I'll let Francesca answer this. That sounds a lot more about recall or sort yeah. of memory storage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but the way things connect in my brain, sometimes people can't understand. Like Adam often thinks I'm switching topics. Mm-hmm. And really, in my head, I'm not switching topics. Right. But in fact, you are. No, not if <laughs> not if you're in my um, head. You know, yeah, in the way that I think, my yeah. lazy river, uh, right. uh, you, the, you the flow of my brain makes these things totally related. Whereas sure. you think I'm skipping around. It feels a little disjointed, but I'm yeah. aware that it makes sense to you. If that's any help, you can tell by the happy look on my face. Yeah, when you're when you're babbling on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, babbling on. Yeah. yeah, you see the respect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I have to say, I do get that your thoughts all connect. Yeah, mostly just, they just do. not in an orderly fashion. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so... As a but podcast no, co-host, so that I, a problem. I thought that Sometimes. what you were describing of these two sides of the brain was that, was that this sort of connections that other people don't see. But did I did I misunderstand what you no, were saying? No, and, and what you're describing is sort of associative thinking. Like, this made me oh, think of this other thing. I thought you started to say thing. sociopath. <laughs> no. I'm so glad it was associative thinking and not sociopath. I feel better. Um, uh, associative thinking. Associative thinking. Yeah. That's You do that. What does that mean? So it's when you kind of think of an idea that makes you think of something else yeah. where the connections or the... That's why her they middle might name ap- is it might appear thinking, Poundstone. <laughs> it might appear disjointed yeah. to others. But in your head, you're, there's a link... Um, yeah, exactly. And that could be very helpful in sort of story generation and thinking about how one concept relates to another in a different way that most people might not think about. And so that is creative thought. Maybe There's that's creative key thought. to your that's writer's block at times in that you're such an associative thinker that when you sit down to do a particular task, it's a little more difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to write and I just keep thinking about my... My career in hematology. <laughs> right, which you uh, don't, in point of fact, have. Thinking. <laughs> All right, so you think writing prompts are sometimes helpful. And you started to say, before I really interrupted, that there have been studies, uh, and it has something to do with the blood flow. Am I right about that? Yes. The blood flow in the creative thinker's brain. Right, so, uh-huh. so you need to get your blood flowing a little bit. Got to get my uh, blood flowing. Adam was talking earlier about this thing of writing on a deadline. Um, yeah, I wanted there, to get to that. Yeah, that's Are there people one. who respond well to deadlines and people who don't? Yes and no. I think there are people who are motivated by deadlines and that sort of gets them cranking out all, all the text or the content that they need to make. Other people are intimidated by it. And so they find different ways to manage deadlines, whether it means breaking things down into smaller tasks and then setting up smaller, more manageable deadlines. Um, so it depends on, you know, if you respond to pressure or you respond yeah. to, you know, um, a different kind of motivation. I love say. deadlines. I mean, when I know something has to get out the door, that thing gets mm-hmm. out the door. Do you think that it impedes people creatively, though? I mean, it's one thing to get some words down on a piece of paper and say, there, did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another thing to really you know, create something that has great quality. No, I- it isn't. <laughs> Oh, there's my problem. (laughs) Okay. Now I see. That's why I'm not good at writing. When I was in like uh, uh, middle school uh, or junior high, um, we used to have this class. I forget what it was, but the teacher wanted us to journal, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think I, well, two things. A, I was lazy and B, 
just felt like and she, she would say, I'm not going to read your journals. I'm just going to open it and make sure you've written, but I'm not going to read you. Write whatever you want. And so I would just write words, not connected Random in words. any way. <laughs> yeah. Did she ever find you out? She didn't. But if she had, I'd be like, aha, you were reading it. <laughs> Good thing I didn't put my personal thoughts. Well, you know, that's a form of free writing. That Francesca was talking about just moments ago. Yeah. You could pretend that you're still trying yeah. to get revenge on that teacher and maybe get your creative juices going. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to do it. But, yeah. I, I know, but wait, I want to go back to this idea about the difference in quality, because do you think there are books that were done on a deadline that could have been better if there was not a deadline involved? Oh, that's... That's a difficult question to answer because Dickens wrote on a deadline every week yes. um, for his serialized newspaper. I have that's a theory about Dickens. That's how, you, that's how we Dickens was paid by the word. And I have a theory that, especially because oftentimes... He was putting on a deck. I, I, right, exactly. <laughs> I, have a, I have a theory about Dickens that the beginning of his chapters are sometimes very, very wordy. Very, very descriptive in a way that you're like, okay, I'm not sure he needed to do all of that. And I have a theory that he would go, okay, just paid the rent there. And now I'm going to tell the story. It's possible. Yeah. I want to submit another theory because, um, as you know, my, my late mother was a uh, prolific novelist. Uh, she wrote a lot of historical romances. And when she would read the beginnings of a book to me, I started noticing, and then her editor started noticing, that every book started with several pages of weather. <laughs> really? And finally, like her editor uh, over at Signet New American Library is like, you just got to, you know, write that weather stuff and then don't send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Start on page six, because that's where your book starts. Oh, that's wow. Kind of yeah. she, she would get herself psyched into the novel by by just really setting the scene weather-wise. Uh-huh. So she did a little free writing. Free yeah, she wasn't being <laughs> she paid did. by the word. Yeah, yeah. she was like, uh, yeah. So she did a little free writing just to get the juices going. And yeah, most beautiful, she... moody stuff about the I mean, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just the Weather Channel report. Yeah. Was she like that? Like, as your mom, would she open the door in the morning and go, Adam, it's so lovely out here. There's a mist and, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, she was it's, not a... It's hanging low in the air and there's a feeling about the town of... Uh, no, uh, she did not engage in meteorological badinage. That was not no, her thing. No, no. Uh, I, actually, what I was thinking about was um, Grapes of Wrath. Grapes of Wrath has the strangest ending, and in many ways, very, very unsatisfying. I mean, obviously, it's not a happy ending. There's almost no resolve at all, excuse me, in Grapes of Wrath. But the weirdest thing is the very last thing that happens in Grapes of Wrath after the Jodes have, you know, their family has been pared down by... Spoiler alert, the, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> by the difficulties of traveling to California from Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl. Uh, uh, they were staying in a boxcar, as you recall. The, there was flooding. <laughs> I'm seeing Francisca Rosa, not recalling Rosa this. Sharon. Rosa, <laughs> no, she is. She's recalling. Rosa oh, no. Sharon, I'll help you. The weather was difficult. Oh, uh, yes, I remember. Yeah, there was flooding. Rosa Sharon had just given birth to a stillborn baby. The waters were rising. They realized they have to get out of the boxcar. They walk up a hill. They find a barn. They go in the barn. There's a man Holy starving shit. to death, and Rosa Sharon breastfeeds the man. Everybody else leaves her. Ma tells her she has to. Rosa Sharon breastfeeds the starving man, and the last line is, um, a mysterious smile came across Rosa Sharon's face. Yeah, that's a weird ending. <laughs> that is a weird ending. <laughs> yeah. 
and you know what me, I love about it though is that you could tack that ending onto just about any book. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. but to me, that's the editor saying, "John, it's got to be in by today. It's got how many? How much more do you have to do on this? Uh, you know what? Just finish it." And he went, "Okay." Rosa Sharon, mysterious smile came over Rosa Sharon's face. I mean, he clearly did not complete. What happens after she breastfed the man? Now, Francesca, I'm going to give you a moment to uh, an opportunity to comment on that, but <laughs> also stipulate that you do not have to. Well, here's the other uh, thing. I am going to give her a moment. <laughs> you can't. Here's the other thing when, when we're giving her. Francesca, what say you about that? I'm not sure. Over to you, Poundstone. I, I let me just tell the listeners: a mysterious smile just came over Francesca's face. Right. Um, yeah, it's a weird ending, and it's clearly written by a man too, by the way, because there's not a woman in the world who would think that after breastfeeding a starving man, a mysterious smile crept over any character's face. That is the thought of a man, hands down, is it not? I. It's not the thought of this man. No, you're, you're not. That doesn't occur to you. It, no. Yeah. No, it, it would never have occurred to me to write that ending. But I think yeah. I'm going to tack that onto all my books at this point. <laughs> yeah, a mysterious smile. It's came not just over. a mysterious smile. It's the idea that here's a starving man. All we have is my daughter's breast milk. That's a little weird. Yeah. Because I don't see how that's going to help that starving man. Well, unless it becomes a regular thing. Right, but, you know, again, again, I mean, like, breast milk is generally about enough for an infant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but it may be produced based on, you know. Oh, they, they're, they're, the book li- ends there, so we never right. find out yeah, if they we, develop we a breastfeeding We never know if that works. Francesca, yeah. do you have <laughs> anything on this stuff? Because I feel like we've wandered far and far afield. I don't think we have. Can a man subsist on breast milk or a woman? For that? <laughs> Maybe if you could you know, somehow fabricated into breast cheese and stuff. <laughs> Other breast dairy products. Fromage a breast. <laughs> I'm guessing. All right. Uh, we've I think we've walked is, this interview down, no, down the plank at this so. point. I think this is a good point to bring up that female lemurs can drink from their own breasts. Can they? Yes. They're, wow. They're long and tubular, and they just flip them up and have a pull. Do they really? Yeah, I've seen it. All right, yeah. I'm ready to end this and right here. And then a mysterious smile comes over their faces. <laughs> the end. That's a perfect place to end it. Thank you, Francesca Gacho, for, for getting us on block. Paula, based on that, um, what advice can you give our listeners about writer's block? Omar Leva, could I have a little background music for my summary about writer's block? I have to finish this summary about writer's block in just a couple of minutes. Some people are motivated by deadlines. I don't think I am. But another method of combating writer's block is free writing. I'm sitting in the studio with Adam Felber, Tony Anita Hull, Omar the House Band, Ray Horseman, Ken Lezebnik, Bonnie Burns, and my dog Sirius. There is a fan giving out more noise than comfort behind me and a microphone wearing a clown nose right in front of my face. I haven't peed in 30 minutes or so, and yet I need to. I wonder if I have a bladder problem or I'm just getting older. Is everyone my age about to pee all the time? I should do a podcast from the restroom at the airport. I could just interview the woman in the stall next to me, and, and, and the guest is kind of catch-as-catch-can. Hi, it's me, Paula Poundstone. Down here. The microphone is down here. Do you know what writer's block is? I don't think free writing helps me. 
All right, Francesca Gaccio is the graduate writing coach at USC's Annenberg School of Communications. Francesca, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Francesca. All right. Coming up next, oops, I made a terrible mistake. Our corrections department will set something straight. And Ken Lezebnik's America takes us cross-country again. That's coming up right after this. The Cat of the Week is Mooncake from Kitchener, Ontario. Thank you, house band Omar Leva. Man, I, I, just, I just love having you here. Paula, we pride ourselves, you and me, on being a strictly factual podcast, right? Absolutely, yes. So when we make an error, unlike other podcasts, we own up to it. Unlike other podcasts, unlike almost everyone in the nation, almost like, <laughs> like the, the, the entire administration leading the country, <laughs> right. yes. Which means it's time for Oops, I Made a Terrible Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I now feel like I've made another mistake. Right. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. So, so that's, that's a very fanfare I want every time I'm introduced. So, Paula, uh, we both made a mistake, or did we, when we tried to pronounce your vocabulary word viva voce? No, it's viva voce. Now, we argued about this, and yes, I think we, we, did. We, we reignited the argument the next week. Um, you said we your had some badinage about it. We had some badinage, but it was a full-on argument, too. Yeah. Because I believe that it was... Pro I, I punched believe you right in the fucking head you over did. this. You punched me in the head. Yeah. And, um, you had it coming, man, because you were saying you say viva vi voce. You said it was viva voce or something. No, or... I say it's... Excuse me, I take it. It's not viva. It's viva voce. Wow, and I, to me, I didn't know for a fact that it sounded wrong. I thought it was more like a viva voce kind of thing. Yeah, sounded, but um, it's viva voce. Well, look, it, we listener Christian. What do you Brady, think? I made it up. I looked it up in the dictionary and had the pronunciation. Right, but your dictionary doesn't have a cover, right? I'm guessing it might be the great big book of mispronunciation. <laughs> no, uh, it's is not what's true. written on the cover because listener Christian Brady posted on Facebook that the word is pronounced viva voce. Mm -hmm. that's and that's how, what we call that's the how Christian pronounce it. Yeah, he with wrote his friends. He wrote Viva Voce is what we call the oral defense of your doctorate at University of Oxford. I defended mine back in 1998 in Oriental Studies. Oriental Studies. Well, that's what they called it in 1998. <laughs> Whoa, that is going back a ways. Yeah, but um, that's what he called it. Huh. Viva Voce. Yeah. And what he doesn't say um, is that he got a C. <laughs> and it was because of egregious mispronunciation. Yeah. As, as, as uh, people were listening to his presentation, you know, they circled that word and they put a little, you know, miss beside. They said they put a see me. See, we, <laughs> we, do, we do agree that this show should be factually accurate. Yes. But we often don't agree on what those facts are. Well, Even I mean, when I can, given an explanation. Remind me and I'll bring the dictionary in. Yeah, bring the dictionary okay, in. Here's why I know that it's viva voce. Okay. Because... <laughs> I didn't make it up. I wrote the pronunciation down as I read it. And there's no way I, I could see if I just wrote the word down and didn't write down the pronunciation. But I wrote the pronunciation down. But you came up with voci as your pronunciation. It's viva voci. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I like so, that you don't. And that's the difference uh, between me and you. you know, is because like, I, I, often, I often will back down. And that, that brings us to our next one. Yeah. Here's well, a I just want to say to Christian Brady, yeah. uh, thank you for being a listener. And there's no shame in being wrong. 
Apparently there is on somebody's part. I'm not wrong. It's five of us here. It's possible that, you know, there's two different dictionary. One dictionary feels one way. It's Hatfields and McCoys, which means, by the way, that Christian and I have to break up. But uh, um, I'm telling you, I wrote it. I'm going to bring it in. So you're saying you were corrected by a listener and you're saying fake news. No, I would never say something that Trump says. Okay. Um, All right, so here's a mistake I made, and it's gotten me some blowback, right? Um, it was, again, related to one of your vocabulary words, rotundity. Rotundity, yeah. yes. Yeah, and, and uh, I think uh, I said at one point, most drag queens are kind of svelte. And you followed up by saying, what? Yeah. You called me out of right away. Yeah. And, you know, you were right. And, in fact, on that <laughs> show, I then said, I withdraw that. I'm just yeah. saying that most I've Because seen- I pointed out, why would you know the size of... Of lots and lot of every drag queen, I, I, and you know, I and it don't. turns out you've gone around the country. No, uh, I on haven't a, on a little float that you have. Yeah. It's a wheelie thing with flowers on top um, that you go around the country on, um, playing going, music that I hope will attract drag queens. Go, no, you go into uh, clubs with drag queens and measure them. Yeah, no, and something I was, you've I was, been doing I was for years. Basing it on a on a very limited data set. Yeah, like the time in the '90s when my friend and I happened to wander into Marie's Crisis Cafe and it was time for their Easter bonnet competition. Oh, and that, yeah. was a, that was a thin bunch of drag queens. But but I was absolutely wrong and I said so at the time. But it's still, there's blowback coming on. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, you um, pissed off uh, Dumplin' Honeychild. Listener, Dumplin' Honeychild, God bless you, took note and posted this on our Facebook community tab. Quote, there are plenty of rotund drag queens, Adam Felber, you silly man. And Dumplin' included a photo <laughs> adding, and this one would never... Be referred to as also there. And and it's true, I've man. You seen see that? her picture, and yeah. she is not just also there. Yeah, she is a hundred percent there. Yes. And I, I'm going to apologize again. She is the main there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an amazing picture. Is it up on our website? It's up on our Facebook page. So definitely take a look at at, at uh, little Dumplin' Honeychild. And thank you so much for writing in. And Paula, that's what it looks like when somebody admits they were wrong. If I was wrong, I'd gladly admit it. It's Viva Vosi. <laughs> Lastly, and I don't know if this is a terrible mistake or if you were just at a loss for words, but your struggle to describe our show was actually captured on tape on another show. Yeah, I do a lot of interviews and radio shows and podcasts, and I often try to describe our, our, our show, and I've just never been able to do it adequately. Yeah, we've been having that contest. People have been suggesting things. And, uh, and, and well, let's listen to how well you did here. Okay. Besides the stand-up, what, what else are you doing these days and the well, NPR show? I know this... This, this does not separate me from the rest of the pack any more than does breathing oxygen and not eating my young, um, but I do have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a podcast called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, and it is a, uh, it is a comedy podcast wherein we, we, you know, we, uh, we share also uh, information. We have uh, experts in different fields come on and talk well, to I'm us really about selling it. whatever may be relevant, frankly, to my life. Um, for example, we've been... Uh, Exploring the mold in my bedroom closet for, for a while now, several aspects of it. I don't think it's good. Um, the mold, not the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't immediately and, and, uh, go on their computer to yeah, listen. I spent a lot of time doing that, and, uh, and I work the road. I'm out uh, well, two or three nights a, a weekend, and uh, I do one night in each place, and I'm off again. So the, mostly what I do is um, pack okay. and fly. Wow. 
yeah, okay. that was. So I was that just was telling a, my whole, yeah, my whole life. I was telling my whole life. Wow. So, and that, yeah. that was your answer to your question. What's your podcast about? Yeah. Now you're worried about the mold in your closet, and you're also on the yeah. road. And, I, that's yeah. compelling. That yeah. description is compelling. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. just from playing that now, we're going to get extra tune in. Really? I was thinking people that people are going to go about- back and re-listen to this episode just so they can hear that description again. I honestly think it's more likely to cost us listeners. <laughs> you think people are going to go like, just, oh, now that she frames it like that, why am I wasting my time on this yeah. podcast? So that, this is why we've turned to the listeners themselves and asked uh, people who have a, a concise, and that's hard for me, a concise uh, and compelling description of our podcast to uh, uh, post it up on our Facebook page. Yeah, send it in or email it to us at nobodylistenstopaulpoundstone at gmail.com because clearly we need help with a concise, snappy, succinct description of our show. And there just may be a bar of Paula Poundstone autographed hotel soap in it for you. You know, you always forget the adjective. It's fresh hotel soap. What? Yeah, it's fresh hotel soap. How do you know? You're stealing it from a hotel no. room. Well, Does it no, have an expiration want, no, date on it? It's, it's still fresh in that you just took it. Is my point. Oh. I don't want people to think oh. like I bathe with it and then I'm like, yeah, I have this. There's a certain um, segment of our listenership that would like that. Uh, Tony Anita Hall, who was the listener that we sent that we rewarded them because they had, was it? Did they have a description? Is that what it was? Yes. Somebody had a terrific description. And we Which you really did not use it. in that uh, aforementioned interview. No, uh, that must have been a long time ago. And uh, <laughs> and it. so we sent them a hotel soap, and then they wrote to us and told us that um, it came postage due. Right. Uh, and that was an oversight on our part. Yeah, that will not happen again. That was our bad. That's yeah. definitely on, in the yeah. oops, I made a terrible mistake Who was department. the guy? What was his name? It was Scott Franciscus, which so, now now you're suddenly on this page where we're gonna, just going to have Scott Franciscus pay for all our shit. Yeah, now. he's paying any shipping that we do. The 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 bill Franciscus for it goes is the directly guy now. Yeah, to Scott Franciscus. It's, it's bad enough that we sent it so postage due. Now we're billing him. I love that. All right, Scott Franciscus. Well, um. Keep those descriptions coming, everybody. And Paula, what's- He is co- our Deutsche Bank. He is our Deutsche Bank. <laughs> when nobody else would take a risk on us. Paula, what's coming up for you? Uh, well, on August 16th, Adam, I'm going to be at the Cape Cod Melody Tent in Hyannis, Massachusetts. And on August 17th, I'm going to be at the Clayton Opera House in guess where? Clayton, New York. Wait, did you say Clayton, New York? Yeah. Well, we were about to uh, uh, launch into in, in, into. Ken Lezebnik's America, you know, that, that travelogue segment we've yes. been doing. And by outstanding coincidence, this week, Ken Lezebnik is taking us to Clayton, New York. What are the odds? That is such a freakish coincidence. It's staggering. Let's start the road trip we call... <laughs> Ken Lezebnik's America. <laughs> you kids, get in the fucking car. Ready for a road trip, everyone? Roof, roof. That dog out of there. We're not taking that dog. I'm so excited to drive us up scenic Highway 12 to the little town of Clayton on the St. Lawrence River. Oh. Hey, hey, what's the matter? Don't you love upstate New York? All I care about is getting my commemorative spoon of the Thousand Islands. We'll get you that spoon, Janice. I know you want to add to your collection of precious Americana. Timmy, Nellie, got your seatbelts buckled? I always do. Timmy, buckle up for safety. I'm gonna hell, Nellie. Nervous Nelly, nervous Nelly. Shut your cake hole. Buckle the damn belt. If he does it too tight, he gets car sick. I do not. Do too. Do not. Do too. Do not not. Too. Kids, kids, improve your bod notch. You try having lighthearted banter with a dork. Mom, 
Timmy, call me a dork. But Timmy's the one who gets car sick. I got the big roasting pan ready if anyone gets car sick. Or has to pee. Bladder, gladder, nailie. Hey, hey, look, look, kids, we're approaching Clayton. It's a quintessential Thousand Islands River Village. I want my commemorative spoon. Janice, I bet they have great commemorative spoons here. They might celebrate famous residents of Clayton like Albert and Joe Bouchard, founding members of the band Blue Oyster Cult. They grew up here? You think they have a Blue Oyster Cult commemorative spoon? Could be. I'm so excited about visiting the Antique Boat Museum. Do we have to? I'm hungry. Don't let him eat in the car. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Hey, you know, we're in the birthplace of Thousand Island dressing. Hey, look, oh. look, there's a restaurant selling salads featuring Thousand Island dressing. I'll, I'll pull over. They don't need a fucking salad. I just want to get my spoon. I'm so hungry. Food! 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 Hey, hey, Timmy, Food! Timmy, Timmy, Food! here you go. Here you go. Look, it's a nice... Food! It's a good... Look, here it is. It's a nice salad covered with the signature Thousand Island dressing. Whatever, I'm starved. Okay. Kids all buckled up, let's hit the road again. Off to the St. Lawrence River and the Antique Boat Museum. Little curvy here, oh, sorry. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, look, we're passing by the Clayton Opera House. It's an historic brick structure overlooking the St. Lawrence River. Hey, look, kids, they're advertising an appearance by legendary comedian Paula Poundstone on August 17th. Gosh, I'd love to get tickets. I don't give a shit! Slow down! He's gonna hurt! Give him the roasting pan. Hurry! Oh, sweet Jesus! Take the fucking roasting pan! I already dropped it! Damn it, Nelly! That's fucking dressing! Oh no, it's gonna be a thousand island up, Chuck! Timmy, Timmy, hold on, hold on. I'll pull up in front of the opera house. Look, we can get our Poundstone tickets. Julie! Holy shit! It's so gross! The mayonnaise! The finely diced onions. <laughs> <laughs> They're hurling all over the dashboard. <laughs> well, Janice, I see an antique shop across the street. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you no, know, you could get your commemorative blue oyster cult spoon while I get a bottle of Mr. Clean and wipe this up. <laughs> Dog beat you to it. Oh, perhaps another day you'll get your commemorative blue oyster cult spoon, Janice. And maybe someday we'll see iconic comedian Paula Poundstone at the Clayton Opera House. But for now, let's drive on. On this day in unremarkable history, Ulysses S. Grant said, It's not really civil if people are shooting at each other, is it? Hey, I'm Janet Varney, and like many of you, some more recent than others, I used to be a teenager. In fact, just about all of my friends were too, including wonderful women like Alison Brie. I'm dead center on the balance beam. And this is like a big gym. All the ki kids' parents are there watching. I have to stop, like, you know, when you have to pee so bad and you can't even move. And then I just go. I just pee oh, right in the middle no. of the high balance beam. <laughs> so join me every week on the JV Club podcast where I speak with complicated, funny, messy humans as we reminisce about our adolescences and how they led us to becoming who we are. Find it every Thursday on Maximum Fun. 
Have you ever watched a movie so bad you just needed to talk to somebody about it? Well, here at the Flop House, we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. We'll watch it and we'll talk it. We do the hard work. Featuring the beautiful vocal talents of Dan McCoy. Stuart Wellington. And me, America's Rascal, Elliot Kalin. New episodes every other Saturday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast, dude. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back, all you nobodies. Now, Paula, uh, any message this week for the fans listening to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone? Well, he asked with some dread in his voice. Adam, I don't have to tell you how much I enjoy doing our podcast. I and love I, it too, Paula. I know you do too. And when I'm performing around the country, people come up to me and tell me that they are nobodies who listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Yeah. It makes me so happy. The truth is, though, that we can only continue to make our podcast if our listenership continues to grow. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you're winding up towards another sample listeners. Well, I know dialogue. many listeners aren't sure how to talk to their friends and loved ones right. about listening to the podcast. So I've written, you're correct, Adam, some simple, simple sample, sample dialogue, dialogue that I think might help. Try this. Okay. Listener's friend. Oh my God. I saw you on the Orlando Channel 5 News last night. I couldn't believe it was you trapped on your kitchen counter by an alligator that had wandered in through your open doorway. Are you Okay. Listener, I'm fine, thanks. Listener's friend, oh my God, I'd be freaking out if I was you. The cops had to come. An animal rescue and your kids and husband had to stay at a neighbor's until they could catch the thing around the mouth with that rope with a loop on it. I'd have been freaking out if it was me. I'd have been freaking out, but you seemed so calm. Listener, I was calm. Listener's friend, yeah, I know, but how is that possible? I mean, you were trapped by an alligator, and the cops had to come in the animal rescue, and it took forever to get the rope with the loop on the end around its mouth because it was snapping all over the place like... Like that, yeah, like I, that. I, I, I think we get it. At Listener's point. friend, yeah, yeah, excuse me, listener, I'm going to tell you something I've never known how to tell you before. Right. I listen... To Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, the comedy podcast. An hour or so of laughs each week keeps me calm in the face of daily stress. The hardest part is getting time alone to listen. Sometimes I listen during my long commute to work. Sometimes I listen while I clean the house. And sometimes I force my kid and my husband out of the house just to get some time to listen. This time I put a trail of huge chunks of raw meat going from the man-made pond in the center of the apartment complex to our place. And I left the door open. Listener's friend, boy, you must really love that podcast. I'm going to try it. Okay. So Um, this, I think, will bring... So many more listeners. Uh, well, there was an alligator in the in the, no, in the no, no, lake no. in oh, Chicago. Uh, yes, there was. Um, so what you're saying is, so that's any another listener few of listeners. our podcast who finds themselves calm by our podcast, yes, and then is in a dangerous situation, might do a dialogue that is something like this, though not specifically this. No, let me back up. Uh, maybe okay. you didn't understand it. No, I so think what's I do happening understand. is, yeah, I know, I get the plot. So there was an alligator. And she was trapped on her counter, and her friend, the listener's friend, saw right. her. But on for the actual Channel listeners out there, news. they can all take a lesson that you're saying it's a calming thing. And if you're in a dangerous situation, you might be able to tell your friend, "Hey, I was in a dangerous situation. Not unlike having an alligator in my kitchen, or being stuck on a window washing platform, or yeah. you know, any kind of dangerous situation." 
You're speaking well, it would metaphorically. Keep, it would keep people calm during. Yeah, I think yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. If okay. you need to extrapolate it out like that, oh, I yeah. think you do. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think you really do. Especially when we got to that trail of raw chunks. Yeah, of she meat. put raw chunks of meat and left the door open so that she would be trapped on right, the she counter. Purposely and got that herself way, into there, a the dangerous. The husband and kids had to go to the neighbor's house. Okay. Yeah. So this is going to bring. I think by next week, our numbers of listeners should be up. Yeah. Vastly. Yeah, vastly. Vastly. I mean, vastly yeah. for everybody who's been already, on Channel 5. We're, already we're, we're high on Maximum Fund's list of oh, yeah. shows. We are one of Maximum Fund's flagship programs. They apparently had uh, some sort of a weekend getaway. That yes, they didn't, Max FunCon. I saw about that on the They didn't even invite us to. We did to, not get invited to yeah, it. But we are, they were all John yeah. Hodgman and uh, and uh, I, I don't know Jesse, who was there. I'm guessing Jesse was there. Jesse, sure. what's Jesse? Lezebnik. Je, no, Jesse, what's? No, Jesse Thorne. Jesse, Jesse Thorne, yeah. they were in tents together and yeah. zipping and unzipping. And all the fans and, were there, zip lines. And there was kindling and, yeah. and they were singing they around the folk fire. Singing around the fire. Sure, and, that's how I picture it. I, yeah. I don't and really we know. We were just not even not left, even invited. Left off the guest yeah. list. <laughs> we, had, we had to find out on their website. It's not that we weren't asked to speak or perform there because there were performances. Yeah. yeah. We weren't asked to come watch the performances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, they didn't even ask us to bring a whisk room to yeah. clean out uh, the tent. Right. Like, yeah, you know, it, it would have been insulting. If they'd said, could you come and make breakfast for everybody? Yeah. But in some ways, that would have been better. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded that at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, I make a good omelet. Yeah. All right. Well, nobody's remember that our email address is nobody listens to Paula Pounce on a gmail.com. And you can find me and Adam on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All right, that's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull who did some great acting tonight, I thought. Technical direction by Ray Horseman and mixing by Anthony Alfaro. Special thanks to tonight's house band, Omar Leva. Great to have you back. Please come back again. And thanks again to our guest, Francesca Gaccio. This week's security muscle is provided by Ben Lezebnik's friend, Tyler Burke, and not by the late Jonah Knuckles Glickman. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me. For your special Paula Poundstone discount, use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? You know, I took a year of um, of simulated retching at Bada. In order to... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why they didn't invite us to that event. I'm still steamed by that. They didn't want to... They don't want to hear vomiting outside the tents late you know, at night. It's, every, it's just Adam practicing. So you saying now it's my fault that we didn't get invited? No, I don't think it's your fault. I think they just didn't want us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say I didn't want them either, but I, I totally would have gone. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>